Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Hi, everyone. Judge Andrew Napolitano here for Judging Freedom. Today is Thursday, January 18th, 2024. Scott Ritter joins us from Moscow, along with Alexander Zirianov and Pavel Ashoff, uh, our able and wonderful uh, translator. Scott, always a pleasure, my dear man. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for taking time, Alexander and Pavel. Thank you uh, as well. Uh, Scott, since we last spoke, you have visited the Crimea and you have visited the Donbass. How did you get there? What did you see? What were your impressions? Well, we drove. Um, Alexander and his, um, and his good friend uh, Dennis um, drove me. It's a very, very long drive from Moscow uh, to Rostov-on-Don, which is the gateway to uh to the new territories to to crimea um and we we went into crimea first um crossed the crimea bridge um and uh, there we had to wait to get permission to go into uh into in into the new territories uh, it's more than just a donbass it's uh kherson and uh, zaporizhia uh, and then you get up to donetsk and lugansk uh, uh, i think the russian ministry of defense was nervous um I think they like me and they didn't want me to uh, anything bad to happen. So they were very nervous about letting me in. But um, because of Alexander's persistence, um, we were able to uh, to go in. Um, I had a very good conversation with the governor of Crimea about, um, you know, his perspective on uh, why Crimea is Russian, not Ukrainian, and why it will always be Russian. And I had a similar conversation with the um, with the governor of um of Kherson, uh, talking about, you know, what happened in 2014, uh, the coup that took place in Kiev, uh, you know, what the consequences were for the Russian-speaking population, uh, why they opposed uh, the Zelensky regime, the Poroshenko regime pr prior to that, and why they supported the Russian intervention, um, and why they are proud to be part of Russia today. And that's the important thing. Uh, not just in Kherson, but in Zaporizhia and Donetsk and Lugansk. Everybody I met, um, you know, the United States isn't recognizing Crimea or these four new territories as being part of Russia. And I imagine that it will be a very long time uh, if they ever will. But it doesn't matter. When you look in the eyes of the Russian people who live there, of the Russian people who are struggling, uh, they know they're Russian. They're proud to be Russian. 
They believe they belong to Russia. They will always be Russian. And that's a reality that um, I think the United States needs to come to grips with. You know, we're we're so proud of uh, self-determination. Uh, you know, we're Americans who say, you know, we have a right for this. Or we have a right. To, the Russians have a right to be Russian. And um, they want to be Russian. They don't want to be under the Ukrainian government, this banderist regime that has sought to nullify Russian culture, sought to, you know, commit cultural genocide. Um, I was in Mariupol, uh, this city that was devastated by the Nazis, by the Azov Battalion, by uh, the, the fighting that took place. And I saw firsthand not only the destruction of the city, but the rebuilding of the city, the, the rebirth of the city, how the Russian government has come in and they've built a new hospital. They've built new apartments. They're refurbishing damaged buildings. They're going to bring this town back to life. And it's more than just buildings, Judge. The streets are populated with women and children who had to flee Mariupol uh, because the Nazis were trying to kill them, murder, and they murdered many of them, thousands of them. But they're coming back. They're returning to their homes and their life is returning to normal. You know, you can read about artillery fire, Judge. You can you can read the articles you know, about the boom of artillery. Wake up in the morning in Donetsk and hear it yourself. And then look around and see the women, uh, the mothers with their children walking the streets. They don't wear helmets. They don't wear body armor. They're living their lives. These are some of the bravest people I've ever met. And they're steadfast in their determination uh, that they are Russia and they will always be Russia. Um, I saw this in Lugansk. They took me to... Uh, you know, the Alley of Angels, uh, a memorial to the to the 68 dead children who, who were killed again by the Nazis, by artillery fire. Um, the, anybody who thinks that Ukraine will reconquer these territories, uh, you need to go there. And that's why I went there. You have to see this firsthand. You have to meet these people firsthand. You have to look in their eyes. You know, there's that old Revolutionary War thing. You know, wait until you see the white of their eyes. Well, I saw right. the white of their eyes. I stared at them. I got to meet them. I shook their hands. I felt the firmness of the grip and the the, the, the steadfast nature of these people. And um, you can't experience that long distance. You had to go there and see it. And so I'm eternally grateful for uh, for Alexander uh, Zirionov to put his own life at risk. He and Dennis, you know, they're, they're men with families. They're men with aspirations. They're not military men. But they went there because they felt it was necessary for me to see that. And just so everybody knows, Alexander and Dennis also – uh, make frequent trips there to provide humanitarian assistance to the people like thousands of other Russians do. Alexander, my friend, welcome. Uh, welcome back to the show. Uh, it must seem uh, that the Russian people are very grateful that the danger is gone and the parts of this, of the earth that have been Russian culturally are now Russian legally. Александр, дорогой друг, приветствую вас. Такой вопрос. Можно ли сказать, что российские люди благодарны за то, что сейчас опасность уже вдалеке, и что эта территория, которая была всегда российской в культурном смысле, теперь стала российской в смысле правовом? Добрый день, судья. Я рад приветствовать вас и ваших зрителей. Good afternoon, judge. I'm very happy to welcome to be with you again and... Good afternoon to your viewers. Да, конечно, эти территории становятся и правовыми в плане применения российских законов, но опасность не миновала. Тот же Донецк, Скот, свидетель, мы стояли и слышали разрывы рядом. 
uh, yes, uh, these territories are uh, becoming uh, Russian legally as well, and uh, um, they are now the territories that are governed by the Russian law. But the danger is not gone yet, and uh, Scott was the witness of that. We stood there and, and we heard the explosions. Я хотел бы, чтобы ваши зрители, жители Лондона, Нью-Йорка, Парижа, Берлина и других европейских городов просто представили, каково это в мирном городе, который бомбят уже 10 лет. Когда, например, семья утром, муж провожает жену на работу, детей в школу, и никто из них не знает, увидят ли они вечером, кто из них вернется живой домой. И это происходит 10 лет каждый день. I just want your listeners to appreciate the people from London, New York, Paris, Berlin to think what it's like to live in a city that is being bombed by a, um, for decades already. When a family parts in the morning, the husband um, goes to uh, his job and um, the family doesn't know if they will be able to reconvene this evening. That's a horrible situation to live in. So it's fair to say that the Donbass is not out of the woods yet, that the uh, Ukrainian government is continuing to bomb and attack what it claims is part of Ukraine. То есть правильно ли считать, что Донбасс до сих пор в нем сохраняется опасность, что украинское правительство продолжает бомбить эти территории, которые они считают по-прежнему принадлежат их государству? Да, эти территории подвергаются обстрелам каждый день в том числе и другие территории России, такие как Воронежская область, Белгородская область, совершенно по мирным жителям бьется неизбирательно, не целясь, просто гибнут мирные жители. Yes, uh, these territories are still shelled on a daily basis, and not just these, but also the, um, the territories such as uh, Voronezh or Belgorod, uh, which experience non-selective fire, and um, what uh, the Ukrainians do, they just are targeting civilians. И я только сегодня прочитал новость абсолютно безумную, когда Макрон предложил поставить Украине более дальнобойное оружие, чтобы атаковать Крым и вглубь территории России. И это необходимо остановить, в том числе и вот ваша передача для этого, я считаю, предназначена объяснить людям, что этого нельзя допустить, потому что мы терпеливый народ, у нас очень терпеливый президент Владимир Владимирович Путин, но в конце концов терпение у нас может закончиться. And this must be stopped, and I guess uh, I want to use this opportunity to uh, communicate this um, at your show, that um, this um, shouldn't continue. We as a nation are very patient and our president Vladimir Putin is also a very patient person, but uh, sometimes uh, patience comes to an end. Понимает ли вот вот эти вот просто безумные руководители западных стран, политики военные, которые делают подобные заявления, ведь они могут привести к началу Третьей мировой войны и тогда не только российские города окажутся под обстрелом. Понимает ли жители этих стран? что они играют с огнем. Их, их руководство этих стран играет с огнем. I wonder if uh, those uh, politicians and uh, military people understand by making these reckless statements that they are playing with fire because they are, um, they are bringing on the verge of uh, World War III. And uh, if uh, it happens, it wouldn't be just Russian cities that would be under fire. Scott, um... 
how precarious is Western Ukraine? Obviously, President Macron's statement was reckless. Obviously, Joe Biden is still trying to negotiate for $68 billion in American aid for Ukraine military out of the Republicans in the House. That's reckless and crazy. But how dangerous was it where you were? And, you know, isn't, isn't the Ukraine military on its last legs? Well, first of all, I don't want to exaggerate um, the, the danger I was in. The, uh, Alexander and the Russian government very careful, careful to keep me away from um, the front lines. I'm 62 years old. I'm not a war tourist. Um, and, uh, you know, I, my job wasn't to go into the trenches. They did uh, the photograph you're showing there. They, they did provide a uh, bodyguard detachment because uh, I, of course, am on the Mirthorts hit list. And the Ukrainians have marked me for assassination. Right, let and, me just um, stop you for a second while that's up there, uh, Pavel. Wh what does that mean in the in the background? What do those numbers and letters uh, mean in English behind Scott and Alexander? This says uh, Komsomolska Pravda Radio. No, Komsom no, the, on the on the TV. Uh, this uh, reads um, uh, Luhansk, uh, the hero city. And 1795, I presume, is uh, the year when it was founded. Ah, okay. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, this uh, is please, this is. Please continue. Thank you for that, Pavel. Uh, we guessed that that's what 1795 meant. Obviously, we didn't know what the Russian meant. Please continue, Scott. How stable are Crimea and uh, uh, Donetsk and those territories, and how uh, fragile is the Ukrainian military? Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Well, the, the stability of the areas that are uh, controlled by the Russian government, it, it's, it's very stable. Um, you know, the Russians, as, as they advance, um, behind them comes the, the Russian government that begins infrastructure develop. I have to tell you, the roads, um, as soon as you enter um, Kherson from Crimea, the roads become like modern American highways. The Russian government has, um, you know, made every effort to improve the infrastructure Homes are being rebuilt. Gas lines are being reestablished. Water lines are being established. Uh, the basic infrastructure, uh, schools, hospitals, um, you know, the, 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 the basic fundamental elements of government that allow pensions to be paid, um, you know, roads to be maintained. All of this is put in by the, by the Russian government during wartime. So, you know, while the fighting's taking place at the front, behind them, the Russian government is, is pushing in and doing this reconstruction. Let there be no doubt that the Russian government is winning. Uh, I mean, the Russian army is winning. 
Uh, the Ukrainians are on their last legs. Um, but I, as I remind people, the bloodiest month of World War II for American forces wasn't June uh, D-Day, wasn't December 44, Battle of the Bulge. It was April 1945, after everybody knew that Nazi Germany had been defeated. That was the bloodiest month because the Nazis fought hardest. The Ukrainians are fighting hard right now. I spoke to uh, soldiers from a unit that suffered 3,000 dead, 3,000 dead leading assaults in the uh, uh, Advika area. Um, and I said, my God, you got slaughtered. And they said, no, we killed 20,000 of them. And uh, today the, the death rate's even greater. I mean, the Russians are losing thousands of men killed, but they're slaughtering the Ukrainians and it's an unsustainable casualty rate for the Ukrainians. They're desperate, they're running out of ammunition and you're going to see increasingly as the Russians push forward. But the Russians aren't in the business of conquering territory irresponsibly. Uh, they will recapture the totality of Donetsk right now. About 33% of Donetsk uh, Oblast or the Republic is under Ukrainian occupation. Uh, there's a percentage of Kherson and Zaporizhia likewise under uh, a Ukrainian occupation. Uh, but the Russians are going to take that and they may take more territory, but they're going to do it in a manner that uh, succeeds in their objective, their stated objective of destroying the Ukrainian military. And they're right. not going to allow unnecessary casualties on their part. So this isn't a performance art. Uh, this isn't theatrics. This is the hard, cold business of winning a war. It's about killing the Ukrainians in numbers that the Ukrainians can't sustain. And that's what's happening as we speak. So the Russian military is attempting to kill the remains of the Ukrainian military, and the Ukrainian military is attempting to kill civilians in these uh, areas. Do I have that correct? You have it correct. First of all, let me just make a clear point. The Russian military isn't attempting to kill Ukrainians. They're slaughtering Ukrainians. Okay, They're murdering Ukrainians. They're wiping them off the map. Uh, right. And the Ukrainians, in their desperation, are attacking Russian civilians because their only hope right now is to draw the West into this conflict. And so right. they're attacking Russian civilians, both in uh, the new territories, and the city of Donetsk has been shelled mercilessly for 10 years, in Lugansk, in Zaporizhia, in Kherson, but also they're attacking the Crimea, and they're attacking Russian cities, Belgorod. They're attacking the Voronezh area. And they're not attacking military targets. They're using cluster munitions against civilian targets where there's no military. They know what they're hitting is civilian-related. They're hitting parks. They're hitting schools. They're hitting hospitals. They're hitting markets. Well, and what the do they hope to gain by this unless it's just some last act of desperation, some final thrashing out at the adversary? They want a Russian overreaction. They want Vladimir Putin and uh, Shoigu to get angry and to lash out and do some harsh act, um, a re act of retaliation against Ukrainian civilians that the mm. Ukrainians could then say, aha, look what the Russians have done and bring right. the West in. But the Russians aren't taking the bait. Uh, there it. will be justice. The justice will be dealt out when Russia wins this war and brings it to an end. But Russia's not taking the bait. They, they, are comfortable with the trajectory that they're on right now. And everybody I spoke to says that they anticipate that the final victory will be sometime this year. Alexander, um, we had a guest on this week who's a former colleague of mine from Fox News. You may know of this gentleman, Bill O'Reilly. Uh, and Mr. O'Reilly argued uh, that the Russian economy is in shambles due to the war and due to the uh, sanctions. 
Is this true? Александр, на этой неделе у меня в эфире был гость, мой бывший коллега с Fox News, возможно, вы знаете, Билл О'Рейли. Так вот, он утверждал, что российская экономика сейчас в очень плохом состоянии, в руинах, можно сказать, из-за войны, в частности. Вот так ли это? Судья, я думаю, что его нужно отправить. Извините, что задаю этот вопрос. Я понимаю всю его абсурдность, но все же хотелось бы от вас услышать, чтобы вы опровергли то, что он сказал. Я думаю, что ему стоит приехать в Россию, чтобы посмотреть э, все своими глазами. Я не знаю, на основании чего он делает такие заявления. А в связи с этим мне еще вспоминается президент США Барак Обама, который однажды заявил, что он порвал экономику в России в клочья, и теперь это только бензоколонка. Um, well... He should come to Russia and see with his own eyes. I don't know what makes him make such statements. This also brings to my mind the statements by President Obama previously when he said that uh, the um, Russian economy is torn to pieces and uh, um, uh, Russia is nothing but a gas station economy. Okay, so they have been tearing the economy down to pieces, but they still haven't succeeded yet. Я приглашаю этого журналиста к нам в Россию, я ему покажу нашу экономику, наши предприятия, которые сейчас строятся очень активно, магазины, ну, все, что хочет, то и покажем. Пусть он убедится, что мы неплохо себя чувствуем. I would like to invite this journalist to visit Russia, and I will personally take him around and show him our economy, show him our plants and uh, companies that uh, are being built. I will show him the shopping malls, and I will show him around. He will be able to see for himself that it's not so. Judge, let me just point out that um, Alexander Zirianov um, is responsible for the economic development of Novosibirsk region. Uh, it's the third largest city in Russia after St. Petersburg and Moscow. And it has the largest uh, developing economy, uh, and it's succeeding because of people like Alexander Zirianov, uh, people who know the Russian economy, they know the world economy better than Bill O'Reilly apparently does, and they know how to survive, and not just survive, but to thrive in the environment of sanctions. We've joked about this before, and I think Alexander will agree with me. Um, you know, it, it, it is a, a statement that people make, and I've heard it many times on this trip. Thank you, Joe Biden. Thank you, Joe Biden, because of the sanctions, Russia has actually become much stronger than it would have been had there not been sanctions. I appreciate all those answers. I, I want to um, I want to dwell on the Middle East for a few minutes with you, Scott. Uh, since we uh, spoke last, uh, the United States has targeted uh, Houthis uh, in Yemen. Uh, Ukraine, excuse me, um, Iran uh, has targeted uh, groups in Pakistan and in Iraq. Uh, and uh, Israel has announced that its troops are going to enter uh, Egypt in order to secure the so-called Philadelphia corridor. Question, are we getting closer to a regional war, all because Joe Biden won't pick up the phone and tell Netanyahu, stop? Well, that that's of course the the that's the right observation. No, we are we are in a regional war already. It's just a war that's been uh, the escalation of which has been managed by um, all parties. But uh, you know, the United States has allowed this thing to spin totally out of control. Let's deal with the Houthis first of all. Um, you know, 
I, I just need to point out that our attacks against the Houthi have not achieved anything. People need to understand that the Houthi have been fighting American intelligence, American aircraft, and American bombs since 2014. Um, and they beat them. They beat the Saudis in a stand-up fight. They whipped the United Arab Emirates. Two of the most powerful, rich nations in the region were whipped by the sandal-wearing Houthi using modern weapons that threatened to destroy Saudi oil infrastructure, that uh, that, that destroyed Saudi military equipment, etc. They They know how to survive. We haven't destroyed anything. These guys have gone underground. They have tunnels. They have, uh, you know, bunkers. And uh, they continue to hit American ships. We have, you know, the vaunted American fleet in the Red Sea can't stop the Houthi attacks and will never stop the Houthi attacks. I don't know what we thought we would accomplish by doing this. But one thing is certain, thanks to American military intervention, the Suez Canal is now closed to Western shipping. Not all shipping, Russian shipping and Chinese shipping have no problems transiting the Red Sea. That must be frustrating for the American fleet to see Russian and Chinese ships uh, going uh, to and fro without any hindrance. But uh, American ships, Western ships, any ship affiliated with Israel isn't. They have to go around the, the, the Horn of Africa. It takes time, money. Uh, this is having devastating consequences for the Israeli economy and for the Western economy, for, for that of Europe. On, um, you know, when we speak of Iran and what's going on in Iraq and in Pakistan, the Iranian attacks, understand this, the CIA, and I hope you bring this up with Jack Devine next week, uh, the CIA has been running this covert paramilitary operation where we are using Baluchi separatists, Baluchi tribesmen uh, on the border between uh, Iran and uh, in Pakistan to destabilize uh, Iran. The reason why these attacks are taking place is that these Baluchi terrorists, CIA-backed Baluchi terrorists, uh, assassinated a senior Iranian um, military commander. So the Iranians are retaliating. Uh, the Pakistanis are likewise targeting these Baluchi separatists. In Iraq, the CIA has been working with various uh, groups to undermine the Iranian authorities, and the Iranians are striking back. Uh, they're not going to tolerate this. And again, you know, the CIA's track record recently isn't very good. Uh, and all they've succeeded in doing is uh, embarrassing the United States, further strengthening Iran, and further destabilizing the region. And if Israel goes into Egypt, um, I don't think the Israelis understand. The Egyptians aren't going to back down. If they want a regional war, they'll get one. And this is one where they will literally, look, they've been beaten to a pulp in Gaza. They're scared to death to go against Hezbollah up north on the Lebanese border because Hezbollah will not only whip them, but take over northern Israel. And now they're going to go up against the Egyptian army. Uh, I, I don't know what kind of dope that uh, the Israeli leadership is smoking, but it must be some really good stuff because you, you have to be high to think that this is a pathway to success. And it is Joe Biden's fault. One phone call could end this all right now. Call up. Netanyahu, tell him to cease and desist in this ridiculous genocidal conflict that they're waging against the Palestinian people in Gaza, and peace will suddenly break out all over. Uh, Pavel, I'm going to run a, a rather uh, lengthy uh, clip now uh, of uh, the American Secretary of State, Tony Blinken, uh, speaking in Davos, uh, Switzerland and making uh, negative comments about the Russians. So you might want to get your pencil ready so that you can uh, at least summarize it for, I'll stop the dog barking in a minute, so that you can at least summarize it for uh, Alexander. 
So it's this not is, Maverick, Judge. It's not Maverick. No, it's not Maverick. It's Chris. <laughs> <laughs> not my superstar executive producer, Chris, but my German Shepherd uh, uh, Beagle mix, Chris, gets excited. Um, so this is uh, Tom Friedman of the New York Times interrogating Secretary of State Antony Blinken before the globalist elite in um, Davos. You may want to tell uh, Alexander in Russian what's coming, and then when you finish telling him what's coming, we'll play the clip. You can translate it, and then I want to ask him about it. Alexander, сейчас судья запустит достаточно длинный фрагмент опроса господина Блинкина, госсекретаря США, журналистом Томом Фридманом из New York Times, который ходил в Давосе на форуме. И когда это закончится, я вам кратко перескажу содержание. После этого хотел бы задать вам вопрос. Окей, here we go. So we'll we'll run the clip. Now it's obviously in English. Pavel, you and it's long. Pavel, you do your best to make notes and to translate the substance of it, not word for word, the substance of it, especially what he says about President Putin for Alexander. Go ahead, Chris. Putin has already failed in what he set out to do. He set out to erase Ukraine from the map, to eliminate its independence, to subsume it into Russia. That has failed, and it cannot and will not succeed. Yeah. Second, uh, Ukraine has not only stood up to the aggression, over the past year it took back more than 50% of the territory that had been taken from it in February of 2022. The last year, uh, the last part of the last year, has been challenging, but even then, something that got little notice what Ukraine managed to do in the Black Sea, opening it up, pushing the Russian Navy back, and starting to get grain out to the world. It's been the breadbasket of the world. It's gone back to that as a result of actions it's taken. Let's uh, play it one more time uh, for Pavel's uh, benefit, Chris. Putin has already failed in what he set out to do. He set out to erase Ukraine from the map, to eliminate its independence, to subsume it into Russia. That has failed, and it cannot and will not succeed. Yeah. Second, uh, Ukraine has not only stood up to the aggression. Over the past year, it took back more than 50% of the territory that had been taken from it in February of 2022. The last year, uh, the last part of the last year, has been challenging. But even then, something that got little notice, what Ukraine managed to do in the Black Sea, opening it up, pushing the Russian Navy back, and starting to get grain out to the world. It's been the breadbasket of the world. It's gone back to that as a result of actions it's taken. Итак, госсекретарь говорит, что Путину не удалось достичь своих целей, а это стереть Украину с карты, лишить ее независимости и да просто включить ее в состав России силой. Украина противостояла агрессии и достаточно успешно. Вот, например, удалось отвоевать 50% территории, которые Россия захватила в феврале 22 года. В последнее время все идет не так хорошо, но нужно обращать внимание, например, на то, что Украина успешно противостоит российскому военно-морскому флоту и смогла отбросить военно-морские силы России и восстановить движение зерна, то есть важные, важных результатов добилось в том, чтобы продолжать снабжать мир зерном. Судья, вы действительно думаете или Блинкин думает, что если бы Россия хотела 
она не стерла бы Украину с лица земли. Вы думаете, если бы мы воевали по-настоящему, Зеленский бы катался по заграницам, у них работало бы телевидение, правительство, здание Министерства обороны, и Киев бы стоял практически целый, как и другие города. Россия не ставила себе таких задач. Mr. Blinken really thinks that um, had Russia wanted, it wouldn't have erased Ukraine from uh, the earth. Um, and uh, do you think that uh, had we been serious about this, Zelensky would have been able to travel around the world, that uh, TV would work in Kiev, that uh, the Ministry of Defense would stand there intact? It's just, uh, it, it wasn't our goal. That is why this is not happening. You can ask Scott, he knows how the army of the в странах, куда она заходит, не работает ни телевидение, ни сотовая связь, ни радио, ничего. И президент не может полететь в гости к другому президенту или поехать на поезде. Если То, что вы говорите, стереть с лица земли, это то, что делает Израиль с сектором газа. And uh, you could ask uh, your friend Scott, uh, he could tell you how the US army fights. So when they uh, go to uh, fight in a country, they would make sure that uh, uh, no TV works there, no um, mobile communications, no radio. And um, when they are engaged in a military operation, the president of that country is not able to go uh, and, uh, and travel to uh, the president of uh, another country. He cannot fly, he cannot use a train to do that. And in terms of um, wiping off the face of the earth, I guess uh, this is rather what Israel is doing with Gaza. Мы не ставим такой задачи, Россия. Мы воюем с киевским режимом, с фашистским режимом, а не с украинским нашим братским народом. It's just that uh, we don't see this as our objective. We, Russia, we don't uh, fight against uh, Ukraine. We fight against the Ukrainian uh, regime. We don't want to fight against uh, the people of Ukraine, the Ukraine nation, which is a, a, a sister nation for us. Если вы посмотрите на жертвы среди мирного населения за два года специальной военной операции, они меньше, чем в секторе Газа за первый месяц боевых действий. If you look at civilian casualties uh, for the two years of the special military operations, they are less than in the uh, Gaza Strip in just one month after the operation there. Да, в любом случае, жертвы среди гражданского населения есть. Это, конечно же, трагедия, но российская армия делает все, чтобы они были минимальны. Yes, uh, civilian deaths are there, and that's a real tragedy. But the Russian army is doing everything they can to make sure um, they are brought to a minimum. И в заключение по поводу того, что Украина отвоевала 50% территории, вы знаете, что мы сами отвели эти войска, когда уже было почти подписано мирное соглашение в 22 году, по-моему, в марте. И сейчас бы все остановилось, и сотни тысяч жителей Украины, солдат были бы живы. Но господин Джонс, на тот момент премьер-министр Великобритании, просто одним своим приказом Зеленскому продолжать военные действия, не подписывать договор о мире, обрек на смерть еще десятки и сотни тысяч украинцев. And in terms of reclaiming the 50% of the territory they, they initially lost to the Russian forces, well, we um, moved um, our troops ourselves, and uh, that was because we were about to sign the um, peace agreement in March 2022. Uh, that would have stopped all of that. But uh, um, Boris Johnson, who was uh, the UK prime minister at the time, essentially issued an order to President Zelensky to continue fighting. And that led to the unnecessary death of uh, dozens of thousands of um, people. Got it.
Thank you for that uh, for that answer for that analysis, Scott. Um, uh, Professor Sachs was just on with us, and he reported, of course, the Israelis will never acknowledge this, that the uh, deaths in Gaza is now up to twenty eight thousand, fewer fewer than three thousand of whom are Hamas uh, fighters. You have twenty five thousand uh, civilians slaughtered. Tony Blinken says. Uh, Netanyahu is going to let up <clears throat> when Netanyahu speaks to the Israeli people. He says this is going to go on till twenty twenty-five. Well, let's let's take a look at those numbers. Um, first of all, it's horrific losses for the civilians, but this is targeted destruction. The Israelis have admitted it uh, that their 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 purpose is to inflict so much harm on the Palestinian population that they will turn against Hamas, but that's not succeeding. The Palestinian people are rallying behind Hamas. Um, another 25,000 number we can speak of is the number of uh, Hamas fighters. And that number is actually much larger because I think there's a dozen or more uh, you know, resistance factions beyond Hamas that operate in the Gaza. Um, but uh, Hamas has 25,000 troops. If Israel is saying they killed 3,000, that number is far less. Um, this means Hamas isn't even been dented yet. Hamas has inflicted horrific casualties against the Israelis, uh, destroying armor, uh, killing soldiers, wounding thousands. Um, the United States has admitted that um, no senior Hamas officials have been eliminated. One of the, the objectives of the Israelis was to eliminate Hamas as a military and political organization. And yet here we are this far into the conflict and Israel hasn't even dented. As soon as Israel leaves one of the areas they destroyed, Hamas fighters reoccupy it. And then the Israelis have to go back. That is very demoralizing for them. So Israel is a defeated nation right now. Netanyahu is holding on for his political life. Uh, but every day that he continues to operate, Israel commits genocide against the Palestinian people. And the United States facilitates this genocide. Uh, for your American audience, I, I hope they're like me. And when you wake up in the morning and look in the mirror, you're ashamed of what looks back because we are all culpable in this genocide. We are to blame. We elected this government. We empower this government. And we're not doing anything to prevent our government from continuing to support this genocidal behavior of the Israelis. Before I uh, let you go, taking us back to uh, Ukraine, uh, there's a lot of disputes going on this week between the Speaker of the House of Representatives, Mike Johnson, and Joe Biden, about, uh, President Biden, about the $68 billion, with a B, dollars he wants to send to Ukraine. Let's say he gets his way, Biden. Where will that money go? There's no military left. The society is uh, crumbling. What, what value will it be other than to be stolen by uh, corruption? Well, the first thing is right now is uh, Ukraine is bankrupt. Uh, they can't pay. I, and I, again, I say this to to to, to the American audience, my fellow American citizens, uh, citizens. Um, it's the American taxpayer that pays the pensions of Ukrainian pensioners. Now, I'm not saying that we should have these old people suffer, but um, it just shows you the bankrupt nature of the Ukrainian government. We pay the salaries of every soldier, of every bureaucrat, of every civil servant. We pay everything. The Ukrainian economy is non-functioning. Um, and so the $68 billion would go to, uh, you know, to, to 
beef up the Ukrainian economy, to build a safety net for Ukraine, those in need. All the things that American sh government should be doing for Americans, we're going to do it for the Ukrainians. Any military aid that goes in there, first of all, we've exhausted our ability to give the Ukrainians new military equipment. We've given it all to the Israelis. Uh, if we give Ukraine equipment, we have to build it from scratch. So this money would be sent into American defense industries that would then take months, if not years, to build this, this equipment. Look, Russia's winning this war. They're going to win this war this year. This is wasted money, and that's what every American should understand. This is, you know, this is doubling down on stupid. We've been stupid up to date with what our what we provide the Ukrainians. It should be obvious to everybody now that this is a failed policy. Why would we double down and put $68 billion more into a failed operation that has no chance of success, especially when we have a border? And I don't want to get into domestic politics too much, but... Right. Right. We have a border that's just wide open that need that is begging for investment, begging for some of this money to go down there, a lot of this money to go down there. Um, I don't think this money is going to get out of Congress. I think that um, Ukraine is going to be left with a societal collapse that uh, parallels their military collapse. And this will bring about the eventual political collapse of Zelensky sooner rather than later. Gentlemen, thank you very much, Alexander. Um Thank you for the time that you've given us today and the two previous uh, interviews. I'll let you translate, Pavel. Александр, благодарю вас за время, которое вы уделили нам сегодня и в ходе двух предыдущих интервью. I hope I can uh, visit you in the spring, and if I do, I promise not to bring Bill O'Reilly with me. Надеюсь, удастся посетить вас весной. Обещаю, что если я приеду, Билла О'Рейли с собой не привезу. Спасибо большое, судья, и до встречи в России. Thank you, judge, and I'll see you in Russia. Yes, thank you, and thank you, Pavel. And Scotty, thank you. Safe travels. We'll see you back here next week. Okay, thank you. Thank you. All the best. Wow, another uh, fabulous, uh, informative, right from the heart and right from the soul and right from the ground uh, interview of what's going on over there. Coming up, uh, Scott Horton, Phil Giraldi, Colonel Larry Wilkerson, and Max Blumenthal. What a day. Judge Napolitano for judging freedom. <laughs>